This is Catholic Daily Brief. Episode 36. What is grace? This term grace comes up a lot. We say that we're saved by grace, that grace comes from God, that we receive grace through the sacraments. But what does this term actually mean? In the minds of most Christians, it's probably something very abstract. We kind of have an idea that it means the source of holiness, becoming closer to God or more like God, and that's true. But it would be more helpful if we looked at various meanings of this word and then the way in which we usually use it in theology, give it a more clear meaning, given that it's such an important reality. If we're saying that it's only by grace that we're saved and that grace justifies us and grace makes us like God, conforms us to God, we should probably know exactly what we're talking about. The first thing we can say about grace is it's something that exceeds our nature, that is, it's supernatural. It transcends our natural capabilities. And we've talked about this before. There's nothing we can do by our own natural powers that can merit grace. It's something that's added to our nature. It doesn't contradict, but it builds on our nature, and it's beyond our nature. It's something that comes from God and God alone. We talked about this in our discussion of the supernatural virtues, that in order to accomplish a supernaturally meritorious act, a godlike act, we need some principle given to us that's proportioned to a supernatural act. We only have natural capabilities, faculties, powers, so in order to accomplish a supernatural act, we need to have a supernatural power given to us, which is one way to understand grace. It elevates us to a supernatural level to move us into the supernatural realm. We understand this is meant by Christ's words when he says, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it remain on the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. This is in John chapter 15 showing that without this supernatural power, this supernatural life that comes from God alone and that was merited for us by Christ, we are incapable of doing anything good. And going way back to the creation of Adam and Eve, the very first creation of human beings, even then, our natures did not have grace naturally. That is, we were created as natural beings, but upon our creation, we were also given the supernatural gift of grace. It was always something that was a gift. We were created with it added to our nature. And after original sin, we not only lost grace, but our nature was damaged. That's why we say we have a fallen human nature. It's not just that we're no longer created along with the gift of grace. It's that we're created deprived of grace and also with a damaged nature, which inclines us to sin. So even at the very beginning, grace was a gift, even though it was something that was given at the same time that we were created. Now we only receive grace upon our reception of the first sacrament, that is baptism. So this is the first and perhaps most important thing to remember about grace is that it's absolutely well, gratuitous. That is, it's absolutely a gift given freely by God, merited in no way. Grace has meant uh, various things. Even in scripture, in the Old Testament, you have the use of the Greek term charis, which is where we get our word for charity, but it meant various things. Grace could mean physical beauty. Grace could mean uh, benevolence, but primarily it means gift. 
and a gift given by God. This is clearly what is meant in the New Testament, that it's a gift given freely by God in order to justify us, that is to put us in a right relationship with God, to forgive our sins, to heal our damaged fallen souls, and also to make us like him. To make us like him in this sense that the very nature of God is to know and love the highest good, that is God himself. God contemplates and loves the divine nature. This is something better understood when we go over the theology of the Trinity. But by the gift of grace, it elevates our nature so that by our intellect and will, we might know and love God and therefore imitate the very action of God, imitate the very life of the Trinity. So it makes us like God, and this is why St. Peter says this about grace. For indeed, his divine power has granted us all things pertaining to life and piety through the knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and power, through which he has granted us the very great and precious promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. This is in Second uh, Peter chapter 1. So we become partakers of the divine nature. Again, meaning that our interior life naturally, which is only capable of natural things, natural knowledge and natural love, and often is inclined to sin, by grace becomes more like God because then we can know and love supernatural things and the object of our acts can actually be God himself rather than just natural things. So we understand now that grace is a gift freely given by God and that gift elevates our nature so that we become more godlike in that we can know and love that which absolutely exceeds our finite nature, the infinite reality, which is God. St. Thomas says that the primary reality of the New Covenant is the grace of the Holy Spirit. Now, grace did exist before Christ, right? The patriarchs and the prophets were often obviously under the influence of grace. To take just one example, in the Gospel of John, chapter 8, Christ says, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So there was, of course, the action of grace in the Old Testament, those just that came before the time of Christ. But there's also a very clear contrast made in the New Testament between the reality of the Old Testament and the New Covenant, the New Testament. St. Paul often contrasts the Old Law and the New Law of Grace, that the Old Law was the law of sin, it was the law of the letter, and the New Law is one of grace. He says in Letter to the Romans, chapter 6, verse 14, For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. So he contrasts the reality of the Old Law with the reality of the New Law, Right, that the law of the Israelites was one of the commandments and the various prescriptions, liturgical prescriptions and dietary laws, these external signs of the covenant, whereas the new covenant is internal. So it's not as if there's, you know, we're lawless now because we have grace, but the essential reality of our covenant with God is not one of mere instruction or external observation. It is one of interior elevation that our right relationship with God is not accomplished by exterior practices, but by interior elevation, that God justifies us interiorly, that the law is inscribed in our hearts, meaning that we are moved by the grace of the Holy Spirit and not simply by external observation. Always keeping in mind, however, that this shouldn't lead us to an unnecessary dichotomy and opposition between law and grace. Christ said he didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And in fact, he continued to teach and to command us various things in the New Testament. But now we are capable of accomplishing supernatural acts. We are capable of actually being united to God by grace rather than just by the external covenant. 
So the contrast between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant is not in its source because they both come from God. And it's not an opposition between then was law, now is grace. It's more the manner of our covenant with God. Then it was external, now it's interior. The law is no longer just written in stone, it's written and inscribed in our hearts by grace. So the new law is still a law, but it's both the law and the principle by which we can accomplish the works of this new law. That is not just naturally virtuous acts and naturally good acts, but supernaturally virtuous acts and supernaturally good acts that we can actually know God by direct union in a sense. So if we look at the history of humanity, we know that God's original intention in the creation of the human race was to create us also with this additional gift. Adam and Eve enjoyed a special kind of creation that was, yes, intended to be propagated, that God, had they not fallen, would have always created us at conception with this additional gift of grace. Our original parents lost this gift for us, and that's what we call original sin, that we are born not only with this lack of grace, but also with a damaged soul, that our soul is inclined to sin. Then in the rest of the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, between Adam and Eve and the coming of Christ, there was the action of grace in certain instances, like the patriarchs and the prophets were given some kind of insight and some kind of participation in grace that we really can't explain in a satisfactory way, but we know that Christ himself attests to the fact that there were those who were just in the Old Testament, upright and just. But the history of humanity is one of rebellion. Our fallen nature is the one thing for which there's probably the greatest evidence. G.K. Chesterton said that original sin is the one doctrine that really can't be disputed because the evidence is so overwhelming. It's the evidence of human history. And when Christ came and merited grace for us, merited justification for us, and then poured out the Holy Spirit upon the apostles at Pentecost, this is a, a new era in history where we have access to grace. Every single person has access to this grace, this union with God, this participation in the very nature of God that we become adopted sons and daughters of God in a way similar to Christ being the natural son of God, that is, he is God by nature. We are sons and daughters by adoption, that we benefit from all of the things that Christ merited on our behalf and our actual internal life is elevated. It's not just that Christ covers us externally and that God the Father pretends that we are his sons and daughters, but we actually become his sons and daughters because grace actually puts us in a right relationship with God. It's not that we're just considered to be sons and daughters of God, but that we actually are sons and daughters of God because we participate in his nature. However, even in this era of the grace of the Holy Spirit being given to us, we still have a fallen nature, right? All the damage of our original sin is not done away with. Yes, we are justified by grace, but we still have weak human natures. We're still inclined to sin. Our intellects are still darkened by ignorance. We don't have the, the preternatural gifts that Adam and Eve had. And of course, all of this, our concupiscence, our inclination to sin, uh, the weakness of our, of our wills, all of this is cause for much suffering still. We, as St. Paul said, do things we don't want to do. Like we know what's good, we know what Christ has taught us, and yet we still find ourselves doing that not very often and only with great difficulty. That can tend to discourage us. In fact, it does discourage everyone at some point or another. But we can never lose sight of the fact that when we talk about grace and we talk about divine sonship, we're not just speaking in platitudes or in metaphor. When you enjoy the life of grace, that is when you're in the state of grace, you actually are a child of God in reality, that you have something of the divine nature in you. We hear often, even from our earliest days, that we're a child of God at baptism. 
And we hear it so much that maybe we tend to forget that we mean that in reality, that we mean it really and truly, not just as a nice way to think about things or in the in the mere sense that God created us, therefore, in a sense, we're his children. But no, we actually have been elevated to a status that we could never achieve on our own. And this is done solely because of God's great love for us. It's done in total freedom, totally gratuitously, without any merit. We are caught up into a level of existence that entirely transcends our nature. This should make clear why the church emphasizes so much that we ought to be in the state of grace and also pray for an increase in grace every day. Because the more we increase in grace, the more we become united to God and like God, the more we become conformed to God. This highlights again the importance of the sacraments, in particular how important baptism is when we begin this union with God, and also the sacrament of the Holy Eucharist, by which we are truly united to Christ in his divinity and humanity, and the sacrament of reconciliation, which allows us to start again, to begin anew the life of grace when we have fallen out of the life of grace by grave sin, or even to strengthen the life of grace when we weakened it by venial sin. These sacraments should be the milestones that we consider in our lives, the highlights of our lives, more so than our, our birthdays. We should consider when our true life of grace began, when our true supernatural life, our true life as a child of God began at baptism, and receiving the Holy Eucharist, at least on Sundays, with devotion and, of course, in the state of grace, ought to be what we thank God for and prepare for all week. And we should always stay close to the sacrament of reconciliation because losing the life of grace is the greatest loss that we can suffer. And in addition to putting us back into a right relationship with God through the forgiveness of our sins and the pouring out of his mercy, the sacrament of reconciliation also confers an increase in grace and grace to avoid temptation in the future so that we might better preserve our union with God. So in summary, grace is a completely gratuitous and free gift of God which makes us like him by elevating our nature, making us real sons and daughters of God, not just by some external declaration by God, but by an interior change that's affected in our souls, that our minds and our wills become capable of knowing and loving God in a way that we could never achieve without grace. There are many other ways to consider grace, many other forms of grace that we might consider. For example, the difference between sanctifying grace and actual grace, or the various sacramental graces that are particular to the various sacraments. We might consider those in a future episode, or perhaps in the member episode this week. Thank you for listening to Catholic Daily Brief. Please share this podcast with your friends and family to help spread the word. Also consider becoming a member at patreon.com slash catholicdailybrief. God bless.